All right, so this week is the last of the videos in the last night of 2 Timothy. So, so far, as we've moved through the letters of Timothy, now we are to the point where Paul is basically reaching the end of his letter, but also he's nearing probably the end of his life. So this all kind of comes to a close um, in, in this chapter, and we are studying 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 22. Um, the question that they have is what are some examples that come to mind when you think of someone who ended their career, project, or life well? Um, someone that comes to mind who ended their career, project, or life well. I can't help but think of like all the what I refer to as the backbones of the church, like Bud and Emma May, Bud and Luella, Mama Brandon, Clifford and Alice Ruth, you know, Bessie, you know, and all those that get such a strong example in just in their life and just seeing the hardships that they had gone through and how still they got up every day and just persevered day after day and saw the best in the day instead of the worst of the day. I think that's, you know, like a life of faithfulness, which is, you know, one of our fruits of the Spirit that we learned about. Um, but also, I think in the video, they'll talk more about, about faithfulness and how that's kind of the goal of the Christian life. You know, when you see Paul go through uh, lots of trials and people deserting him and disappointing him and betraying him and you know he can still move through life and say you know I fought the good fight I finished the race and um, I guess that's really the goal yeah I was uh, I've been reading about Ulysses S. Grant um, and we had a chance to visit his uh, boyhood home in Georgetown, Ohio. And um, I really enjoyed his story because even though you could say his success was kind of worldly success, um, there was a lot of chances in his life where uh, people thought he was a failure, people thought he couldn't get his act together, and it seemed like in the points of his life where he really needed to, he got it together, you know, in the Civil War, then he became the president, and then um, he made a lot of bad decisions along the way, but it seemed like he got it together right when he needed to, and that's what counted. Uh, and, you know, people have tried to, uh, you know, make less of a big deal about his life, but in the end, it was like, that's that's appealing to me that a person can go through life, make a lot of mistakes, 
and almost be unnoticed by history altogether, you know, with just a few differences of actions in his life. Um, I guess he could have taken over his dad's business and kind of taken the easy road and we never would have heard of him. <laughs> but he went on to be the president and um, he ended up writing a biography of his life right at, at the end of his life and uh, was able to finish it before he died, which was a big accomplishment um, because he had cancer. And um, so I just, I think of him a little bit when I think of uh, someone who, you know, ended their, their career well. And um, although that's kind of worldly success, I would say. Um, Versus Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Jimmy Carter's lived an example. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham. Yeah. Yeah, how many times do we see people in a similar role now that just can't can't handle that kind of pressure and and really cave to to the world? Yes, yeah, that's what you Okay. Um, let's go ahead and we'll read Second Timothy four six to twenty two. Uh, Jamie, do you have it? Mm-hmm. You have a you have a loud voice. <laughs> Could you read it for me? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me to minister. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with carpets and troas, also the books, and above all, parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you say 19 is Uh, All the way through 22. Okay. Brief. Brief. Prisca. And Aquila, and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Procumus, who was ill, at Miletus. Miletus. 
do your best to come before winter. Eugulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> that wasn't an easy one. Neil went in his class. So when I was doing a little study on these, uh, something that kind of came to mind was in verse. Um, 16 it says at my first defense no one came to stand by me but all deserted me may it not be charged against them so does this remind anybody else of um another instance in the bible jesus on the cross yes yes i also thought of stephen yeah stephen uh when he also said uh something very similar and then in 17, it said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So even though uh, no one else was there, it was saying that, you know, the, the Lord himself was there. And that was, um, I guess, better than having human power. Um, but it reminded me of there's an Old Testament story in when Elijah the prophet was kind of at his darkest spot and i don't know if it says the lord or angels came uh and strengthened him as well so it reminded me of of that he was hiding in the rocks yeah (laughs) and then verse six and eight let's see oh 14, sorry. Uh, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I was reading that that's possibly the same guy that we talked about in 1 Timothy, um, who Paul says he delivered to Satan. Um, So this guy would now have journeyed from Ephesus to Rome to testify against Paul. So when he said he's done me great harm, that would be like he's really gone out of his way to do harm to Paul. And um, I thought that was very interesting. You know why, don't you? Um, my because get- uh, Timothy preaching went against all the idols, and your uh, metal makers was the one that made the idols. So, yeah, everything had his way, he'd be out of business. Yeah, afraid of going out of business. <laughs> so. Um, so, was he the one that started that big, huge ruckus in the town? Didn't we just go over that? Could be. The, yeah. Whoever the metal worker was yeah. was so upset that they started that big, huge problem. What was it again? It was a solar yeah, Silversmiths in Sunday school. We had uh, Daniel in Sunday school, and he fasted for three solid weeks. And he was so weak that he couldn't even speak. And the angel came and strengthened him. And then comes back again and strengthened him 
physical activity. Mm -hmm. I was thinking when Jesus is in the desert, I think it says the angels came and ministered to him, which I think would be similar to strengthened, but I don't exactly know what that means in the, the Greek. I guess I could have looked that up, but... <laughs> Um, let's see. I was going to read um, on verses 6 to 8. I thought this was a good um, interesting thing that I came across on this. It says verses 6 to 8 is when he's saying he's fought the good fight, he's finished the race. And it says this is what Paul says is the grandest utterance of the grandest mortal man that ever lived. A battle-scarred old warrior of the cross looking back over a hard and bitter fight cries out in exultation I have won. Not long afterward, the executioner's axe will release Paul's soul from his worn and broken body to be borne away by flights of angels to the Lord. So I thought that was a pretty good uh, summing up of that, of that verse. And Josh, can we get the video? I didn't forget about the video. <laughs> I just really liked that. Session eight, where we are back on the shore, back on the beach, right where it all began. Right where Paul, who calls Timothy, his young protege, his child, his son in the ministry, and he calls him and he places his hands on him and he says, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And now we get to his final words in chapter four. And final words matter like crazy. These are going to be some of the final words that the Apostle Paul ever writes. And I think what he's doing here is he's sharing with him three very important truths in regards to life and ministry. Truth number one is this. Timothy, ministry and following Jesus is hard. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If you want an easy life, whatever you do, don't follow Jesus. Whatever you do, don't go into ministry. You want to make everybody happy. I don't know, sell ice cream or something. Paul says this in verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And then he goes on in the final verses of 2 Timothy to mention a whole bunch of folks that just did him wrong. People that have abandoned him. People that lied about him. People that have done great harm to him. He even mentions being thrown to the lions, but somehow he was rescued. 
then somehow this is to encourage Timothy. A part of what he is saying is, Timothy, when you face troubles of many kind, you got this. Not because of you, but because Jesus has overcome the world. And by the time you get to verse 17, Paul's going to say, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I think the second truth we find at the end of 2 Timothy is this. He's saying, Timothy, following Jesus is a team sport. You are not meant to do this alone. He mentions by name at least 13 different people that have come alongside of Paul to partner with him in the gospel and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, you and I were wired for community because we are image bearers of one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in a perfect love relationship with himself. And he created us to be in relationships with one another. Now we live in a world where people think, well, I don't need a church to, to be close to God. Well, you might want to check with God on that. Because God says you're not saved by the church, but you are saved into a faith family. In fact, the Bible says that the church is like the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, a disconnected body part is not going to go well. I don't care what you believe. If you were walking with me along this beach and you came across a disconnected foot, you would not look at that foot and be like, well, who are you to tell a foot that they need to be connected to the body? No, no, no. You would know the future of that foot. You would think something has gone horribly wrong, not just for the foot, but for the body. And that foot's going to shrivel up, shrink, and die. And so for the disconnected member, that's what's going to happen to you. I think all of heaven looks at the person that claims to know Jesus that is not connected to the body of Christ and thinks something has gone horribly wrong. And then lastly, Paul shares this truth with Timothy. Again, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. And he says these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, in a world where we read about famous Christians with big platforms failing almost weekly, I think the definition of success in ministry should be changed. The definition is about faithfulness. And Paul's going to say, I have finished the race. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul encourages us. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. And when he wants to know how to do it, he says, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved is appearing. You see, Paul is saying this, Timothy, I have poured out my entire life for the sake of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make no bones about it. It's worth it. I have fought the fight. I have run the race that Christ has called me to. And Timothy, by the same power of the Holy Spirit that God has given me, that spirit is in you and you too can run the race, can finish the fight. Timothy, you can pour yourself out for the gospel, and it's worth it. So let me ask you, what about you? What are you pouring your life out for? You know, years ago, um, before I planted the church that I get to serve, somebody handed me a book, a leadership book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And I'd heard of it. I'd never read it. I was late to the game. And I'm going through, I think it's the first chapter, and he says, you need to do this exercise. If you want to know 
what success is for you in your life, do the following exercise. Now, I'm going to be honest here. When I read a book, I never do the exercise because the point is not to learn. It's to finish the book, right? So you can get on to the next book. But this time, I stopped and I did the exercise. And the exercise is this. Imagine you are at your own funeral and you invite two or three people to your funeral. What do you want them to say about you at your funeral? Now, if you're a Christian, then I hope and I pray that somebody would stand up and they would say the things about you that Paul says about himself, that you have poured out your life, that you have fought the good fight, that you were finishing the race. And so you and I are to live in such a way that the people at our funeral don't have to make up stuff about us. That they can say that we, we have lived up to the calling that God had on our life. Well, years ago, the guy that led me to Christ, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't an evangelist, he was a JV football coach. When I was a teenager, he took me to this camp that he ran, and he told me about the love of Christ. And even though I'd heard the gospel over and over and over again, for whatever reason, that night at camp, I believed that when Jesus died on the cross, somehow it counted for me. Well, years and years and years later, after he actually was the one that said that I should go into the ministry, and I assured him I never would, he's the one that led me to lead my first Bible study. He's the one that threw me up in front of a group of people with a Bible to preach my first sermon. He's the one that said to me, when I see you teach the Bible, I see you come alive, and I see them come alive. And a few years ago, he passed away. And at his funeral, there was another young football player that he led to Christ that went into the ministry. And over this man, Coach Bully, who led me to the Lord, he read this verse, Acts eleven twenty four. It's actually a verse about Barnabas. It says this, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And he said Coach Lee was that kind of man. It had such an impact on me that I actually wrote the verse on my arm because when it is my turn to say that I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I hope and pray people can rightly say that about my life. I want them to be able to say, you know what, he was a good man. Maybe he was an okay preacher, that's fine, but he was a good dad. He loved those kids. And because of the kind of father that he was, that my children would know who the Heavenly Father is. That he was a good husband. That he loved that girl all the days of his life. And that their marriage, though it wasn't perfect, it was a picture of God's love for his bride. That he was a good man. And that he was full of faith. See, the opposite of faith, again, it's not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. And I don't want to be the kind of person that is tyrannized by fear. I want to be able to take faith-filled, courageous steps and do whatever it is that he has called me to do. And I want people to be able to say, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. You see, what that means is I want God to be able to just nudge me in a direction in which just the slightest little nudge that I would go in whatever direction that he calls me to. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. That word meek in Greek describes the bit that you put in a horse's mouth. I don't know a lot of men that want to be meek because they think it has to do with weakness. That's not what it means at all. It means that all of your power and all of your strength is bridled and in the control of your master. I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that all the Spirit has to do is slightly tug me in one direction. And I obey. And I want a great number of people to be brought to the Lord. And while I have the honor and privilege and grace to share the gospel with all kind of people, including you, in the kingdom of God, a great number is just one more. 
because we serve the kind of shepherd that would leave the 99 and go after the one. So as I pour myself out for the sake of the gospel, I hope and pray that it can be said of me that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So my question is, so what about you? What are you living for? What is the fight that you're fighting? What is the race that God has called you to do? What do you want people to say about you one day? At our church a few years ago, I encouraged everybody in our church to write a note, to write a letter, to say thank you to the person that led them to Christ. Whether it was a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, a parent, whatever it is. And so, imagine. Imagine pouring yourself out for the sake of the gospel. Imagine running the race. Imagine fighting with everything you're made of for the sake of the gospel to be exactly who God called you to be. And imagine that your Timothy, your one more, the person that you influenced to come to Christ would write you that letter to say thank you. Thank you for running the race. Thank you for pouring yourself out because it was worth it in my life. May that be said of us. May we be folks who, like Paul, knew that faith was not something that merely happened to us, but faith was something that happened through us. Amen. Okay, does anyone remember what Jovi said we are all wired for? Relationships. Yeah. Uh, I wrote community in relationships with, with one another. And I thought his example of the foot that's not connected to the body was... Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I never thought about it like that, so... Um, but I guess he's, he's right. Um, and then, does anyone remember what he said, how he defines success in ministry? Barb, do you remember? Uh, the number of people that he recognized. I think you were saying, like, faithfulness, like, continuing to run the race, even though um, things get hard. Um Um, it says throughout the series um, in 2 Timothy 1.7 it says for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control um, in what ways has this been an encouragement to your own practice of the faith I just think of it like, uh, you know, there's some things that we don't need to be fearful and anxious of, um, and that's helpful when we we know it's not something that we can do, but with the Holy Spirit's help, you know, we we can do it. And um, I thought it was kind of funny when Joby was talking about uh, somebody 
shoved him up in front of people with the Bible <laughs> for the first time. And <laughs> so I feel a little bit like that um, last week more than this week. But, uh, you know, it's just not something I would have been comfortable doing without um, without God's help, I guess. So, you know, I find that to be an encouraging verse. Uh, this says, uh, why are final words so important? And what can we learn about someone through their last words? I think you're more honest with yourself and with others when you know, you know, just to be able to free yourself when you know it's those are going to be your, your last words to somebody. You want to pour out your heart and tell them the cold heart truth, you know, on, you know, on if they don't know Christ, to try and get them to come to know Christ through just, you know, different situations. Might be what you're going through and how you kept that faith, you know, and and wasn't afraid. Um, You have, I would think we'd have a tendency to be more honest and forthcoming with people. You know nothing else matters at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it kind of takes away any other motives that a person would have, you know, because it's their last words, so what, what else matters? You know, I guess it seems like it would be a big reflection on someone's life or their priorities. Um, but this question, uh, it's kind of a heavy question. And I also think about there's lots of people that don't get the opportunity to have last, big last words. But, you know, in, in that case, it seems like uh, their life in the decisions that they made and the things that they made a priority, um, those have to kind of serve as their last words because uh, it's not like Hollywood, like everybody doesn't get, you know, important last words. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. Your actions speak much louder than what your words do. And I guess in our verses, Paul is I guess this is kind of serving as his last words, but also his life and his actions uh, spoke very loudly as well. So I guess that should be the goal. Yeah, just think, I mean, and it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, but how many lives he touched, how many Roman soldiers and guards he may have touched and led to Christ just of his witness while he was there in prison, wanting to be executed. Mm-hmm. Did you have something? Oh, oh, I was just going to point out, you know, Joby said that it wasn't important to him that anybody say that they liked how he preached or anything, but how he lived his life, how he loved his family, the way God wanted him to, how he kept that faith and love for the Lord through his life, that that's the message he wanted to convey to anybody that cared to discuss how he lived his life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like a, I can see how the exercise of 
writing what you would want people to say at your funeral would be helpful in putting your priorities together. But that's also a, a heavy, heavy thing to do and a, a lot to think about. But um, I thought the way that he, Joby said that was, was very well, well written and Um, this says what are some, one of the things that make following Jesus hard and what hardships have you faced on your own walk with Christ I'm guessing like going against the current of our culture and our society is probably an easy one that most of us probably experience. And what you would consider a hardship compared to the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, and in some ways it seems like, you know, following Jesus is hard but following a life of sin also has its very bad consequences. So although being a follower of Christ isn't easy, living a life of sin isn't easy either. So Well, like even just like we've seen friends or family, you know, you're used to being in that lifestyle with them and then when, you know, Christ comes into your life and, you know, and it makes that change and the things of your past are no longer um, they don't they don't have that attraction. You're not wanting to go out and do the things you used to do. Um, you know, and then so you you kinda lose that connection that you had. You know, not that you you don't ever talk to them, but it, you're not like included <coughs> you're like excluded from any kind of things that they may do because one, they may not want you around or they might think, well, you know, I don't want that. I'm glad that she's in that, got that lifestyle. And I can see the difference and I can see, you know, the joy and the happiness, um, you know, instead of out drumming sorrows or doing whatever, um, you know, they don't maybe don't want to try and pull you back into that lifestyle that they, they don't yeah. want to be faced with oh they, they tempt you to go back to that punishment and a lot of times people have to get away from that I think <clears throat> living for Jesus means living for others and for uh, a life after and that's hard because people, it's easier and more instantly rewarding or gratifying to live for self and the self's desires, whatever you're That's, I mean, that's the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, loneliness sometimes and also that 
a lack of, you know, immediate gratification <laughs> is kind of a a hardship. Um, have you seen fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith? Um, I came up with uh, Brother Steve. Um, I don't know if some of you... Yeah, go on. Well, one of the things, you know, that was a hardship, you know, he would be at a family birthday party or something and get a call from somebody going to the hospital and he just left. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think he was always real pleased with that, but he that was on family vacation and turn around and not going on family vacation. Yeah. Coming back home to do a parent. Does anyone else have anybody that they can think of that fought the good fight and finished the race? Um, yeah. Was the word for God sends me here, he'll provide. And 
about toward the end, one of us said, you want to go see the parsonage? He said, I've only got one question. Would you live in it yourself? Everybody said, yeah. He said, I don't want to see it. So when he accepts the church, he didn't know what he's going to get paid and where he's going to live. Yeah. That reminds me of, you know, he was saying meekness is like um, being led by the Holy Spirit, you know, one way or, or another, like like you would be if you were bridled. Um, but that reminded me of, of that, you know. Didn't get a lot of specifics there, just knew he was going to go where the Lord took him and um, didn't, didn't care too much about the, the details. So. I knew a guy. He was up in his 90s at that time. You asked him where he lived at, he'd tell you the address on each bed road. But he said, my home's in heaven, and the Lord is putting a second coat of paint on it now. And he said, it won't be long before I'm going home. He told me that, and within a couple of months, he went home. But he knew where he was going. And that's a a testimony right there, just to come out and, and say that, you know, when someone asks you what your address is, that's a good way into that conversation. I know he'd say, I know where my home is, do you know where yours is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, some of these get a little redundant because this is the end of the, the study, so I'm skipping a couple. <laughs> um, why is it important to have others around you who help encourage you in your faith? We all have our down days. And that's my or a good word can change your whole outlook. Yeah. And sometimes it don't take a big act to, to change it either. I was in a over Kroger's and the woman hit at me. She looked like she was about nine months. And I reached up and took some of her stuff out of her cart. I said, it's real hard to reach them, you know. Mm-hmm. And she thanked me. And forced, after she got her groceries bagged up and was leaving, she turned around and thanked me again for helping her. Yeah. So sometimes a little hack that you really don't think too much about means a whole lot to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was saying, who are the people on your team and how do they help you fight the good fight? And I think the idea of a church is for it to be your your team, your encouragers, your people that back you up when you are trying to do a ministry. Um, and I hope we do that. You know, when, when people come in 
that are new, I hope they can see that. Um, and I, I hope that we're doing a good job at that. Because I think that's the goal, to build the community and to build each other up. And I think it's tricky, though, because we're still a church of people that are sinners, and we often disappoint each other in the same way that a family disappoints each other, and sometimes on a team. Not everyone is pulling their weight all the time, and so I just see as our culture changes, you see more people that are just, well, I I just want to be by myself. I just want to seclude myself and isolate and you know i can see what everybody else is doing on social media or (laughs) something like that and they want to deny that need for community uh but i just i don't really think there's a substitute for that because you know like like bob was saying you know who is there to encourage you on your days when you're at your low spot you know i think that's a very nice part of having a community and, and a team to encourage you um, to, to keep the faith. And we can see from Paul's list of people that did him wrong, <laughs> that's not something he forgot about. Um, but it seems like he, he was still able to continue past that. And I see a lot of people that struggle with that um, in their life today. If you look at your own life, the closest you are to Christ is sometimes in your worst period of time. But everything going your own way, and you're on top of the world, you start to forget who helped get you there. Mm-hmm. Well, you were kind of talking about like the church's call. I mean, if it wasn't for the church, you know. For me, it was hard. I mean, because I had been coming here for a few years before I was had gotten baptized. I mean, I was saved a few, few years before I had started coming here, um, but was never baptized. And I could feel like the Spirit telling me, you know, to go forward to go through work with baptism. But then my whole time in my head, I'm thinking, you know, they're not going to love me. They're not going to accept me. Here I am, a single mom. Um, at that point in time, well, I, I had already had Benny, um, but then I had Bethany um, from another relationship. So it's just like, they're not going to love me for me. I, you know, they're, all I could see was the church seeing me as a bad person, you know, unworthy of love or acceptance and not even worthy enough to be a child of God, you know, because of, you know being a single mom with, at that point in time, two kids, and then along came the third one, you know, and, you know, still not being married. And so that, the love of the church here, um, you know, was a, a godsend, you know, when I got pregnant with Brooke, um, I was struggling really hard with that one. And it was the, the love of the church and the love of the women's prayer group that actually helped me through that, through that part of life. You know, because I had, by that time, I had, you know, already been baptized and 
had my relationship with Christ was strengthening, but I had a weak moment. And, you know, and so then I was beating myself up about it. And, but they loved me through that and still showed me that I was still worthy. Um, sometimes I share a little too much, but I don't care. Uh, 30 years ago, I was sitting in Boone County Jail from some DUIs, bad marriages, DUIs, family there for 10 months waiting to go to Brighton Center for Women. Um, I had a lot of blessings in those 10 months while I was there, and I helped minister to some girls while I was in there. You wouldn't have believed how mean some of the ladies were in there to people. Um, but anyway, you know, when I got out of there and out of Brighton Center, you know, I missed this church. You know, I had isolated myself at that point for years. If it hadn't been for Betsy reaching out to me and Debbie Humphrey, I wouldn't have had the nerve to come back here and face people. Yeah. You know, they, they kept in touch with me when I got out. And that meant it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Brought me back down here. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, New Testament, you never hear about someone being come upon the Spirit and then running to isolation. Mm-hmm. I think it's when He sent it, it was to be amongst us. I just have that otherwise that's I guess how it works. That's mm-hmm. it's not there just for you. It's there to work with you. But you have to be in a community. Even when you told them not to. You went and told everybody. Yeah. You know, don't tell anybody. That's the first thing you did. Well, it seems like a kind of a human reaction too, like in the garden, you know. As soon as people sinned, they went and hid. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of see that happen. So I think it's it's difficult to be um, real with people about you being a real sinful person because we all are, but it's hard to be vulnerable like that with people. But I think in in some ways that that's what makes a real community because you can build each other up and you can um you know you can hurt people can hurt with you and a lot of people don't like that because it's it's kind of messy it seems very personal and very messy but that's kind of what a community is about and i see that in like my own family you know what i mean like you you know the strengths and weaknesses of your family and you got to roll with it or <laughs> it doesn't start to feel like much of a family anymore. And I feel like the church is, is a lot like that too. I think it's important when people are authentic and do share because I feel connected to Barbara because she raised three kids alone and Cheryl because she was a single mom. You know, I would have never known those things if they wouldn't have shared it. And so there are times where I'm having hard days and I'm like, they did it. I can do it. You know what I mean? Just just little things like that that I think are important and that do make relationships stronger between the church, you know. I was thinking about in his video, he was talking about, you know, who should write a letter to thanking them for your 
you know, helping in, in your um, salvation. And um, I was pretty young when when that happened, but I remember, uh, you know, like walking up the aisle and being small, but Brenda Myers was standing up here and she just gave me like the biggest hug. And I will, I guess I'll just always remember that as somebody that was very, uh, just like, welcome, welcome to the family of God right there in one hug. And, um, it's, it's cool because I get to sit by her in church now, you know, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years, but now like she's back and she sits by me in church and I'll never forget that. And that there wasn't a lot said there. It was just, it was just a hug and I will forever be grateful for that. And I should probably write that down and send her a note. <laughs> this is what I was thinking when I heard him say that. So. Um, but it says, as we close the series, think about the truths we explored studying the book of Second Timothy. Um, and Second Timothy reminds us that Christ is worth any and every hardship that we face. So, Uncle Dale, will you close us? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we really thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for this family and coming down to uh, tell your word. And thanks for Mary as she led us tonight. Lord, we just ask that she would meet the needs of all the prayer we must have here tonight. And we continue to be with uh, Tank and Paula as they travel home and keep them safe. And,